Not at all. Turn it up down here, man. Let's go. Underestimated and still I made it In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated Nobody told me looked over but still dedicated Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favored Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors DB precision, television, ain't ask for no favors Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just watch me go to work And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First Welcome to Face First This is a very special Face First for me uh, An episode So this weekend was a huge weekend for <laughs> people I used to play with uh, The late great Sean Taylor had his jersey retired by the Washington football team and Troy Palomalu, who is now a Hall of Famer, he was inducted in August, but obviously he was selected in 2020. He got his Hall of Fame ring. And these are two dudes that my career is, I guess, one very grateful for. And also, whenever my name is spoken or whenever my career is spoken, it seems that these two players are a part of it. And I'm blessed for that. These two dudes were extremely unique, extremely talented uh, extremely important to me as humans. And they had an opportunity to do something that not everybody gets to do. See, I knew I couldn't wake up every morning or I knew that I couldn't go on the field every day and someone would be having a conversation about me. Is he the best to ever do it? Is he the greatest to ever do it? Not only in my individual position, but in football as a whole, right? Guys like Jerry Rice, guys like Tom Brady, guys like Randy Moss, the Walter Paytons of the world, the Barry Sanders of the world. Like they're all in these conversation, conversations for the best to ever do something. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, right? Uh, and so you think about all of these different players, all of these different people, they had an opportunity because of their talent level, because of their work ethic, because of their opportunity to be the best to ever do something. And that's who Sean Taylor and Troy Palomalu was. Because see, very few people in the world wake up with the chance to be the greatest to ever do a thing. And both Sean and Troy woke up every single morning with that chance until one of them didn't. And so when you look back at their careers, when you look back at who they were, I kind of wanted to take you back through the scope of my vision, my perception, my experience, as being both of their Robins. And now people look at the Robin thing and they think it's a negative, right? Like a guy like Scottie Pippen always gets knocked down for being a Robin or gets talked about as being the other guy, but he was voted one of the top 50 players in NBA history. And now the top 75 comes out and I'm sure he's going to be a part of that as well. And you think about Batman and what he was able to do. Remember, Batman was just a dude. Batman was just a dude who had a lot of money. He had a utility belt. His utility belt could do all these cool things. He had this cave where he could get all this cool stuff made for himself. So now he could go out and fight villains because he had cool crap. But the most important thing that he ever had was a sidekick. The most important thing that he ever had was a homeboy. The most important thing Batman ever had was somebody he could depend on when he did stupid stuff or when he shot the joint to the ceiling and it didn't pull him up high enough and somebody grabbed him and then you see Robin come in and save him. 
Or sometimes Robin was just there because you knew that Robin was going to do his job and do his thing and take care of his part. Now Batman can do all the super cool stuff with all the super cool gadgets and gadgets that he had, that he had from the cave, that he brought out the cave, and then he had the super cool bike, but Robin had to ride in the side, and that's how we got Sidekick. And so when you think about these two dudes, at least from the outside, right, the perception or the visual, they couldn't be more different. You got Sean Taylor, right? This six foot one plus dude, 230 pounds, right? Long, long arms, kind of gangly, super athletic, covered ground, could could bend, right? Had these really, really tight eyes, the beautiful smile, hair changed constantly and consistently. And he was different. When you thought about the position, when you thought about the game, when you thought about all the things we'd always seen people do, the stereotypes from a physicality standpoint, from a physical standpoint, he broke all of those rules. And he broke those rules being able to do all kind of other cool crap that little people could do. Right. Like Sean could go out and, and, and cover wide receivers at the number one position. He could go in the slot and do that. He could blitz. Right? He could play linebacker. He could do anything you ask him to do because he was that talented. And then you had this other dude, little short, like Polynesian dude. And depending on what his eating habits were at the time, he was like a little bit pudgy, but he had this long hair and he bounced around and he stood very tall when he played and he'd shoot the gap or he'd jump over the line of scrimmage and he'd do all these things that we couldn't really understand why he did them. He just did. But he wore like New Balance and he'd crisscross you know, when he wanted to be stylish, he kind of like just crisscross the Velcro. And then he wore cargo pants and cardigans all the time. But even though he had on cargo pants and a cardigan, he'd never wear a super nice shirt under. And then you had S. Dot, Sean Taylor, who, you know, he had style, like he had swag. He was a boy that went to the U. And so you have all of these things and you like, it still didn't matter because as different as they were, they had a unique trait. For as different as they both seemed from the outside, Sean and Troy had this quiet rage, this quiet drive that made them uniquely similar, that made them something different on game day. And it was, it was, so, it was so crazy that when you played with both of them and you listened to what people thought about them before they met him, or before they watched him, or before they got close to him, they thought very similar of him. And not the off-the-field stuff, just personality-wise. Like, my God, how quiet are these people? Right? How meek are these humans? How humble are these humans? And then you see it turn up on Sunday, or turn up on game day, and you be like, holy hell, who the hell is that? Or I guess in Troy's case, who the heaven is that? And so this weekend was a cool weekend for me because I got to tell stories about both of my friends in different lights. Sean and Troy were both super duper family guys, right? And so now as Sean is getting his jersey retired, there's baby Jackie there and there's Jackie there and there's Pedro, his pops, Gabriel's there. And then, you know, on Troy's side, it's Frimmy and it's Pi and it's Thea and it's all of these humans who in this very small circle were very important to both of these dudes. Because what I learned about them was they didn't have these huge circles. They don't have all of these people's people, all of these hanger-ons that they felt like they needed to be whole. 
to be two superstars and to be two super talents, they were both really quiet. They were both really shy. They were both really to themselves. And so for people like me who actually got in, for people like me who actually had an opportunity to know them, to actually have an opportunity to feel like family, you understand how important baby Jackie being there, how important Jackie and Pedro being there for sure, how important Clinton Portis being there, CP being right by their side as he gets his number retired, how important that would have been to him. And when I FaceTime Troy on Saturday night and I'm asking him how everything is going, you know, and the boys come in and they say, hey, uncle. And then, you know, and that's Pi. And then Fremi comes in and then Thea comes along. Like all of those things make me smile, not because they make me feel good that they know me, because I know how important it is to Troy that they're there. And then you got to think about the cities that they played for, a city that have had two cities that have had two totally different uh, like millenniums. Right. The 2000 for the Washington football team and the 2000 for the Pittsburgh Steelers have been totally different. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been to three Super Bowls. The Pittsburgh Steelers have have won two Super Bowls and the Pittsburgh Steelers have continued to be good. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a coach right now who's never lost, who's never had a losing season and the Washington football team's in freaking shambles. Right. The Washington football team has an owner that nobody's like. The Washington football team doesn't even have a freaking name. The Washington football team has scandal on top of scandal on top of scandal. More scandals than they do wins. But they had this dude. They had Sean Taylor. And Pittsburgh, even with all the other stuff they had and all of these greats, they had that dude. They had Troy Palomalu. And no matter what, right, no matter how short or how long that Washington and Pittsburgh had these two, how long they had Sean and Troy, they are blessed to have had these two safeties. No matter what the history of the organization is, no matter what the current state of the organization is, everybody who's ever sat in those seats, everybody who's ever worn those jerseys, anybody who has ever cheered those teams on, understand how blessed, how lucky they were that Sean Taylor and Troy Palomalu were once playing for Washington and were once playing for Pittsburgh, and they will never forget the contributions of those two dudes, no matter how different they are, no matter how much they matter, no matter how much history says about those two, the feeling that those two people provided for those two cities, those two organizations, and the people that played with them will never, ever go away. And that's what this weekend was about. And it's so crazy because now as I go through everything in my mind about these two dudes and everything that they meant to me, you kind of get in this kerfuffle of saying, I want to tell y'all all about who these dudes were as people, or I want to just sit here and talk about all the cool things they did on the field while I was on the field with them because it was just so different. It was just, it was this crazy amount of energy, this crazy amount of effort, this crazy amount of work, this crazy amount of talent that went into every single thing that they did and you wanted to understand it, but even they didn't. And it's so crazy because I'm older than both of them, right? I'm a year older than Troy. I'm a year, I'm two years older than Sean. And so in that, Troy goes 16. Sean goes, what was it, six. Both the top safeties drafted in their class. And by God, they should have been. This is no secret. I remember the first time seeing them both. And when I think back to the first time of seeing them both or the first time of truly noticing them, and you think about, and I think about what they were when I played with them or what they became as pros, 
It's like the craziest way to meet him. Or it's like the craziest way to be introduced to him. Right? So take, so let's take Troy. Troy, that now, once you meet him, you realize it's like this very meek, very quiet, uh, though passionate, extremely, extremely Christian, extremely shy, extremely humble, but kind and, and gentle. Like, you know, all these things. And the first time you see him, he's basically killing Aaron Lockett from Kansas State. And not like in the good way, not like in the way where I look at it and I go to myself, you know what? That's a great football play. That's fair. That's legal. Everything that happened in that play is exactly as it's supposed to be because it wasn't. Because Troy was the gunner on punt. The punt ain't get there yet. The ball's still in the air and he runs through dude's face. Like I've seen him run through a ton of other people's faces when it was legal, when it was okay. This was not. And I was like, oh my gosh, this dude is a savage. And this was kind of before the hair was long, so it was barely sticking out the helmet. So he had like the struggle hair and everything at the time. And I was like, this dude is a natural born killer. And then I met him and I was like, what you mean? Hi, Ryan. But that's who he was. And then Sean, I remember the first time seeing him, it's the national championship. It's this tall, lanky, gangly, like he almost looked like a super big middle schooler who really haven't got, hadn't gotten control of his body yet, but was still better than all the kids that he was playing with. He gets this interception and he's running up the left sideline against Ohio State and it's the national championship. And Maurice Claret, who has his own story, comes up and he takes the ball from Sean. And I can't even remember at the time if I was so amazed that this dude who was 6'2 and 225 and long who had just got this pick and was flying down the sideline, if I, if I was like enamored with that dude or if I was like, holy hell, Maurice Claret just took this ball. Because you got to remember at the time, Maurice Claret was the dude. Nobody knew Sean Taylor. Right? And then they go on to have these very successful but different college careers. Right. Troy is a dude who plays on the West Coast and he balls at USC. But, you know, he wasn't turning the football over all the time. He was up for the Thorpe and he didn't win it. Right. And I had the conversation with him. He's like, you know what? Going into it, I didn't want to win it. Right. Like going into it, I didn't even think about winning it. And then while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, oh, snap, I might win this. And he got excited. Right. And he got nervous and he had goosebumps and he, he was ready to get up. But he ain't win it. But he said he knew going there that he wouldn't. And sometimes, and we'll learn this about Troy, and I learned this about Troy, it's hard for him to accept when things are good. It's hard for him to truly accept who he was and what he'd done and how other people saw him and how he affected the lives of other people and the things that he did that made him so different from everybody else. So he never actually thought he deserved these things. And so for him to be sitting there and thinking that he was going to win was an emotion that he didn't really know how to deal with. And so then had Sean tell me about his experience at the Thorpe. He says he walks up. Now, at this time, Sean has 11 picks, like three or four touchdowns. He's clearly that not only probably the best safety or the best DB in the country, he's probably the best player. And he says he walks in there and they're like, how you doing, Sean Taylor? Nice to meet you. And then Derek Strait, who played at Oklahoma, who was a solid player, not a great player, didn't really play very long in the league, had a very good college career, had like three interceptions, played for a very good Oklahoma team. When he walks in, they say, hey, D. Strait, good to see you. And Sean said, oh, right then, 
I knew what was going on. And I think nothing kind of signifies like the difference in these between these two guys than thinking about how they were drafted. Like I still remember sitting around, I'm playing for the New York Giants at the time. I know who Sean Taylor is now. I know that the moment he steps into the league, he's one of the better player, one of the better players in the league, but also one of the best safeties. And he has on, he has on this bucket hat, right? He picks up the phone. The Washington had a different name at the time. Washington drafts him. He smiles, right? Those eyes get tight. And that's a look that now is always in my head because I see it so much. But that was the first time I saw it. And I was like, look how sweet this dude is. And then the other thought in my head was, okay, I've never seen anything like Sean Taylor. And for anybody else who says anything else, don't kid yourself. You had never seen anything like him either. And if you're being very honest, you still hadn't. And then there's Troy, who's riding in the car with Thea, who's now his wife, who was his girlfriend at the time. And the phone rings, and he doesn't know the number, but he picks it up because it's, it's the 16th pick. It's the first day of the draft. He picks it up. It ends up being the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he said his first thought was, I didn't expect to get this call to the third or fourth round. Because that's who he was. So it's these two totally different dudes who are two first-round talents, who are two Hall of Fame talents, who have totally different outlooks on how to approach this day because they had totally different outlooks on how to approach life, but they both approached football one way, and that was to be the greatest that there ever was. And then I remember meeting Sean for the first time. So I'm, I'm, I'm at LSU at the time. I'm working for TAF. I say a prayer that I get a trial. I get a trial with Washington. I don't even make it. Then I get picked up. They throw the playbook at me. And one day I go to the first practice. I'm freaking passing out. And I like passing out like, oh, RC is tired. No, like I'm legit passing out. I don't know if y'all know what like Florida water is like anywhere else, but that's the water that has like a funny cologne smell. And apparently when you put it on ice water or something, it's supposed to make you feel better. I got dang Florida water and towels all over me. I'm kneeling down. I'm finna die. I think I'm finna pass out. And a, a 21 year old kid, this giant mountain of a man walks over to me and goes, say, bro, you got to do something. Say, bro, you got to get up. You got to keep working. You got to keep fighting. You got to show them that you belong here. Now, we ended up being very good friends. At this point, I don't know you from anybody. He doesn't know me from anybody. He's the number six overall pick. He's the guy who's not practicing this day because he hurt his knee the day before because Joe Gibbs had a, a mini camp right before camp. He owes me nothing. This is the dude that I've heard that this is the dude that I've heard is a little different. The dude that I've heard does things away from the field that you might not like. The dude that probably or will be a problem at some sense. A dude who's who's who may be selfish or maybe this or maybe that. Took the time to walk from one side of the field to the other side of the field to talk to this 23-year-old dude who he didn't know, who had kids, who 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 had a life, who had a, who had a wife, who had to take care of things, who was doing his best to not pass out. Sure it was some sickle cell trade thing. He walked over to say, hey, dog, you got to do something. So then I remember in the middle of, the, of that practice, the corners coach comes up to me and says the same thing. I get two picks at the next practice. We're walking off the field. He said, and that's what I'm talking about. Those were the type of things you had to do. And so as we, as we get through the season, 
I'm not supposed to be the starter. For some explicable reason, he wasn't starting. And so we would always just have these conversations and we would have, we would have talks and he would ask me certain questions. And so he asked me about New York because to him, I was a good player at the time. You know, I'm starting with Washington now and to him, I'm a good player. So he's trying to figure out why somebody like you didn't play in New York. Why would New York cut you? You mean so much to what we're doing at Washington. You're such a physical player to be a small dude. You're so smart. You've played three different positions. Why would Washington cut you? And so I start telling the story. I start telling the story about what Tom Coughlin said to me. We get on this story about Tiki Barber. The Tiki Barber story is one of my favorite stories. It's my second year in New York. At that time, we had uh, Omar Stoutmeyer was a starting safety. Sean Williams was a starting safety. They were two years removed from playing in the Super Bowl. Um, maybe two or three years removed from playing in the Super Bowl against the Baltimore Ravens. It was a good team. It was a good secondary. Tiki Barber had not yet ascended to what he was, but he was on his way. And we had this, this, three, this three safety package that we play in the red zone on short yardage, and I was in. It was like a big deal to me, right? I'm an undrafted free agent the year before. I'm a, it's a big deal that I'm on this package. So they, they toss the ball to Tiki Barber. He's kind of tripped up. He breaks out. I, I go inside out, make a great tackle. Like, I'm excited. It's a live drill. I just tackled the starting running back. I'm showing, I'm showing these coaches that I belong, that I can play. So all these things are, like, good to me. And Tiki Barber, who's a leader on the team, who, who is perceived as a nice guy by everyone because of the way he talks, because of the way he looks, because of who he associates with, says, you never get me down in a game. And that struck me, right? Because whether you believe it or not, it's a lie. I just got you down, but I don't know what the game changes about this. I mean, I guess you play harder in the game, but so will I. And so as he's walking back, I'm like, what the F does that mean? And why would you say it to me, a guy who's a young teammate of yours, who you know is fighting to make the team? But that's who he was. So I tell, I tell Sean this story, and I think it's just one of those things that we're talking about in the hotel, and I move on from it. So it, it turns out we play that team. We play New York late in the year. Uh, Tiki Barber runs the football, and I smash him. And no, it wasn't that I wanted to play any harder because it was Tiki or because it was New York. I wasn't trying to prove anything. That was the way I played football. And Sean comes running over because I don't say nothing. right? I'm not really talking trash. I'm just playing. Sean comes running over and he says, ain't that the mother effer you said couldn't tackle you? Because that's who he was. That's the friend he was. Because when I told him that story and when I relayed that story to him, that I was no longer internalizing, that no longer meant anything to me, it meant something to him. It meant so much to him that he carried it for weeks. And then that one opportunity, when he had an opportunity to say something, when he had an opportunity to have my back, he did. And so all of this stuff that you would hear about him off the field and all of these things that he would get into, they never talked about that part. And so I remember... I remember one day we, we at the practice, I invite him over to eat and we make some macaroni, Tony, we have some smothered chicken and he's playing video games with my son, Jordan. They're playing Madden and he's letting Jordan win because he does. He doesn't really care. I mean, he is on Madden and we just start talking about his life and he starts to tell me about this girl that he met in high school at Gulliver Prep. Uh, who played soccer, who he'd always go to like the athletic training room early just to see her. And her name was Jackie. And he would tell me about their relationship in college. And he would tell me about all the things 
uh, that they'd been through. And then he'd tell me about leaving school and her still being at school and having friends and, and people around her that ended up having or making these situations between them tough, but how much he loved her and how much he missed her and how much she meant to him and how much those things affected him. And so when you see a dude like Sean and when you know how tough they truly are and when you see how fierce a competitor they truly are, you sometimes forget that they're just human, that they're just men. And to have this conversation where he's vulnerable about those things and to have this conversation that talks about his wants and, and his cares and his desires and his needs, those were the times we started to become friends. The days when he's at the house and I'm cutting his hair and he discusses what he wants to be and the way that he's working to find his faith and the way he's looking for a higher power and the way that he wants to believe and the things that he wants to do and the ways that he wants to move. You start to think to yourself, this dude's different, you know, and then there's the cool moments like his helmet popping off against the San Francisco 49ers and somebody from that team wanting to fight him and either Sean not realizing he didn't have a helmet or what I think just not caring and headbutting a dude, busting his lip open, walking to the locker room, getting it stitched up, having Greg Williams look at me and go, that crazy mother effer, and then coming out later on, probably about 10 minutes and getting a pick. That's who he was. And then it's so crazy because then I meet Troy and I'm expecting like this very, this very like loud and, and this very like boisterous and this dude that just runs around and practice all the time and just does all these crazy things and you meet him and he just goes, hi, how you doing? You know, and then you see his family and they're walking around Make-A-Wish kids and, and, and people are cold and they're taking coats off of their back and these coats cost 4000 to $5,000 and people are saying, there's no way I could take that and they're saying, no, that's just material. Or you're seeing that there are books written about his relationships that he has with kids that you know he has with kids that nobody else ever hears about because he does all these things from the kindness of his heart. Or the opportunities on the road when he's like, hey man, just come up to the room and pray. Or when you guys are both injured and you go eat in Baltimore and Baltimore has this high population of homeless people, but you have leftover food and you guys pull the taxi over and you go give food away. Or you buy extra food to make sure that you could do that because you saw them on the way in. And you think about who he is and you think about what he is as a person and you think about the fact that he's a Hall of Famer now, but you also realize all the insecurities he had. All the times he would talk to me about what he's scared of. All the times he would talk to me about the things that he tries to push back in himself because he knew who he once was and now he no longer wants to be those things. Or to hear him talk about his cluelessness in love. That Thea, the woman he eventually married, that he got, he got his Pell Grant one day and he sets out like flowers and he makes this big old thing and then he like pops out and he's like kind of on his knee and like her mom and everybody's crying. But really all he was doing was like giving her this necklace. But to be so clueless as to not understand that this whole setup I've done, that being on my knee and all of these things that are happening... Right. Looks like a marriage proposal. Everybody knows we're in love. Everybody knows we're going to get married one day. But I'm so clueless. I'm not even thinking about it. But that was the, the, the simplicity 
of him. That was the innocence in him. And this was the innocence we didn't always get to see on game day because all we saw was his greatness. All we saw was his accomplishments. All we saw was all of these things that he could ever, that he could do, but the things that he wouldn't accept, the things that he couldn't believe, the things that he couldn't feel because he felt like now that made him worship something that he shouldn't worship. What was football? What was his talents? It made him want some things that he felt like he'd never get, which was the the the, the accolades, the the, the 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 fame, the accomplishments, all of these things. He felt like if I did get them, if I did accept them, if I did become something else, if those things became bigger than my faith, I could no longer be who I could be. See, Troy was a Hall of Famer before the bust. He just wouldn't let himself accept it. But that's what made him great. You know, I think about how different these dudes were, like, even at practice, right? Like, you go to practice, and Sean did everything. Sean ran around and just made all these plays, and I remember doing one-on-ones, and I'm hiding from the receivers. He goes out. He's covering David Patton, God rest his soul, and David Patton runs this route. He runs a post route. Sean catches up to him, slides his hands by his ears, pick the ball from over his head, runs it back. It's at training camp. The crowd's going crazy. I'm like, holy hell. Then I remember it's another practice. They throw a post in practice. He jumps up, catches it in front of the goal post in one hand, dunks it over the goal post. And I was like, oh my goodness. Right? The first camp we ever had, it's 20-something. He had like 20-something turnovers, led the team in turnovers in the games and practice because that was just the way he was. And then I remember going to Pittsburgh, so excited, sitting on the side, ready to watch Troy Palomalu, and he's out there in sneakers, which is weird to me, because I'm like, we're on the grass, right? And he's, he's covering a dude on the outside, and they run a slant and go, and he breaks on the slant very slowly, might I add, and the dude breaks up and, and goes on the go route, and he just turns around and points like this to let everybody know he has him, and nobody says anything, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm coming from Washington where we bust our tail and then Sean Taylor, who's this great player, busts his tail and this dude's kind of like, eh, whatever. And then he gets to training camp and his hair is always in the bun and I'm ready for the hair to come out and I'm ready to see all these things, but you don't really see them till game day. They were different in that way, but game day looked the same because they wanted nothing more than to use every ounce of what they had to do what they loved. And what they loved was ball. And they wanted nothing more but to represent the people that supported them, the people that loved them, and the people that they loved and who they loved were their family, were their friends. And so when you look at what was done Sunday in Washington, what was done Sunday in Pittsburgh, all you could think is you're so grateful that those people were there. Now, I wasn't. I wasn't missed, I'm sure, but I wasn't there. But I was there for the rest of the stuff. I was robbing. I did a lot of the things that coaches probably didn't think that they should do. Uh, I did a lot of the things that were were boring. I did most of the things that they didn't want to do. And I did the things to like kind of hold the defense together. Uh, Doing what Sean and Troy wouldn't or didn't or couldn't or didn't need to waste their time on was my job. Their greatness is what gave that job meaning. For a dude who was undrafted, for a dude who was unheralded, unheralded in many ways, 
for a guy who felt like he was looked over, passed over, mistreated, undervalued. It was like God gave me these two dudes. Two of the greatest talents I've ever been around. Two of my closest friends. Two dudes who loved me, saw things in me, spoke things into my life that other people wouldn't. Dudes who said to me that they needed me. Dudes who said to me that they were grateful for me. Dudes who forever, for the rest of my life, will be a huge part of my story. I remember waking up every Sunday when I played for Pittsburgh and either riding in the taxi early to the game or Troy picking me up. I remember shaking his hand at some point during our pregame ritual, him walking off uh, and me knowing I'd see him later. Uh, I remember every Sunday standing in the back of the huddle with Sean, uh, doing our own uh, special handshake and knowing that no matter what, dude had my back. Knowing that if I got ran over, if I gave up a play, much like I did, gave up a play against Pittsburgh, that he'd be there to smash Willie Parker. That if it was a play where I was going to end up on Chad Johnson, he was supposed to fall off at some point, that he'd realize it's not really need to fall off. I could pick this ball off. We'll double him. That was the life I got to live. That was what it was playing with those two dudes. It was a brotherhood. It was a family. It was a chemistry like no other. As I said earlier, I didn't get to go to either of these ceremonies. My youngest had homecoming. I'm often away with work for volleyball games. I'm often going on Saturdays for my son's football games. But I damn sure wasn't going to miss homecoming when my daughter had a date. I wasn't going to miss homecoming for her. I wanted to take pictures. I wanted to be there. I wanted her to feel my presence. I wanted her to feel my love. But that didn't mean I didn't want to be at Sean's ceremony and at Troy's. The Washington football team has publicly flubbed this whole thing. It came out very late. I was told on the 22nd that they'd be honoring Sean, that they'd bring his family in. And that was all I knew. Eventually, it turned out that they were retiring his jerseys. His jersey. Everybody knows that they're linked with the Gruden emails, the cheerleader thing. They've always been, let's be honest, a scum bucket of an organization since Dan Snyder took over. I personally am grateful to Dan Snyder. He gave me a job when nobody else wanted to give me a job. He probably gave me a job again when nobody else wanted to give me a job. But we all know that he needs to do better. Troy was back in Pittsburgh. Troy hasn't really been back in Pittsburgh for a very long time. Had a conversation with Troy. He told me he got to talk to some people in the organization, squash some things, settle some things, hug some things out that were very important to him. I'm glad he got that because he deserved that. I think it's super awesome that I didn't get to choose what ceremony to be at. I think in a way, I used the homecoming, also used having to work on Monday morning and fly to New York on Sunday to not make a decision to not make a choice. I probably spent the last decade of my life not making a choice when it comes to these two guys. You get it all the time. Was, who was better, Sean or Troy? 
You get it, you know? Uh, if Sean would have kept playing, would Sean have been better than Troy? And I always wonder, like, why is that always the first question? Or why every time I'm in Washington, somebody's like, how, how, how was it playing with Sean? Or if you're in Pittsburgh, how was it playing in Troy with Troy? But then I realized some way or another, my career will always be linked to these two men. My life will always be linked to Sean and Troy. And what's crazy is I couldn't be prouder. There will always be a question about what Sean could have been. I think he would have been the greatest player to ever play the game. I think he by far was going to be the best safety. I think he was the most talented. I think he was the most gifted. I think he had close to the most drive, if not the most drive. I can only say close to the most drive because the dude I played with in Pittsburgh, he wanted to be great. Not be great for himself, be great for the people that loved him, be great to the guy that gave him the talent. And so finally, on this show, I'll give you the answer. Who is better? Sean or Troy? <laughs> well, that's kind of like choosing between who's better of your two brothers. So to me, I'll just say that they're both the best to ever do it, dead or alive. I love them both dearly. I don't even love them in different ways. I actually just wish I could love them in the same way now. I miss you, bro. Rest in peace, S-Dot. This is Face First. It's crazy how life works. I get out of the hospital one day, my body's feeding off itself trying to kill me. Somebody else kills one of my best friends. So now all I could think about was the fact that Sean's not playing anymore, but God chose me. I get my opportunity. So I wore 21 every day to bring him on the field with me. And it wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about the fact that I was dying, yet he did. So I knew that every opportunity I had to get out on that field, it had to be my opportunity. We win the Super Bowl that year, and after the game, a reporter comes up to me and said, how do you feel? How does it feel to, to, to play the game and to make the plays and to be the greatest team in the world? I said, well, every play this year has been the Super Bowl for me. Every single opportunity I had to get on the grass was an opportunity to thank God for the fact that he gave me another chance. And I told him too, man, you know what? I was so tired of eating when you chose to feed me. I wanted to eat every single time I was hungry. Starving was over. Eating off scraps was done. I wanted to get full. And to get full, you gotta always